You're listening to the David Bumble Networking Podcast. Very good day interviewing a lot of Cisco engineers. We discuss all things networking, CCNA, CCNP, CCIE, Python, automation, the books, the exams, the future, your career. Another long day at Cisco Live. We talk to the authors, the experts, the leaders, and people like you and me. David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom. Now, here's your host, David Bumble. Hey everyone, it's David Bomble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom, and I'm really excited to start 2019 with an interview with Eric. I've actually got his books here. Eric is the author of these books. I don't know if you can see that. I've got the first edition and the second edition Mastering Python Networking Books. So Eric, welcome to the call. It's really great to have you. We've been trying to do this for a long time. We had a lot of technical issues while I was in Africa. But again, yeah. welcome. Yeah, thanks, David. I mean, it's great to be here. I've been a fan of your channel for a long time. Thanks. I think, like I said, you know, I, I'm always being impressed with how often you produce quality material. I mean, anybody could write, you know, things that on the blog or whatever on a weekly basis, but it, it takes time and effort to actually produce something of quality. And I think the evidence is uh, is pretty self-explanatory just from the feedback that you get from the user. So, so I've always been impressed and, uh, you know, good to be here. I'm very excited. That's thank oh thanks that's very kind of you that's brilliant right so Eric without any yeah. further ado tell us a bit about sure. yourself so like who you are where you based kind of your experience and then we'll talk about your book because I'd I'd really like to get your input about you know the future and your book oh yeah I, you know so uh, so for me I've been a network engineer uh, like in the true sense of network engineering dealing with routers and switches for a majority of my career um, I started working back in 2000 and really just over the years do all kinds of roles uh, you know pre-sell post-sell service provider enterprise and uh, I guess you know a lot of your audience is Cisco focused so I'll say mention it here as well you know I got my CCIE back in 2008 so um, had I had it not expired on me, it would have been ten years. Uh, this uh, last year just recently passed, but um, yeah. So routing and switching, and I've also worked in. Uh, I guess the most relevant experience for our discussion would be for like public cloud providers. So I was ex Microsoft, uh, ex uh, uh, ex uh, uh, AWS. So uh, and I'm based out of Seattle, Washington. Yeah. So I mean, when we were discussing about this call. You told me you've worked at AWS, you've, yeah. you've worked at um, Microsoft, is that right? Yep. And other large right. companies. So you've had a lot of experience on like the cloud and very large companies. Yeah, so uh, so I think that those are this really what um, kind of kind of sets me apart. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, just because of the locale. You know, we got two big cloud providers. I mean, Seattle is literally you know knows the cloud, right? <laughs> it has both in the natural sense as well as the technical sense. So um, so that was. Uh, that was quite interesting experience. I mean, a lot. I think we'll discuss it in a bit, but um, that really was the time where I started to look at Python and uh, you know how to survive these large environment. You know, um, it really opened my eyes about uh, how what does it mean to have scale? What does it mean to you know be prepared for you know the next step out? How to solve a problem that's not seen in a textbook? That sort of stuff. Yeah. So just for people who don't know, because the audience we have is. is different skill levels. When you talk about Microsoft, you're talking about Azure, is that right? 
Yeah. So, so I, I mean, anybody who has worked in big companies know the reorganization is kind of the the normal way of life, yeah. and especially at Microsoft. So, um, I think what I started working was with uh, this group that handles all the all the infrastructure for for Microsoft data centers, and uh, so that includes you know data center in the sense of buying land, building power, and uh, you know acquiring you know systems, servers, but also you know at the same time doing networking. So that group um, has divided into different teams and I was at when I joined Microsoft uh, I was in the team that supports what uh, this is public information by the way that's uh, this team called autopilot and this autopilot team was actually you know as you could tell by the name was you know try to do out everything automated and eventually that team was uh, merged into uh, Azure group and uh, back then it was codenamed like Red Dog and then eventually evolved into Azure and uh, as it stands right now and like I said I think this is all public information that uh, Azure is now the de facto uh, infrastructure group for all of Microsoft right like Office 365, Xbox, online and so on and so forth so um, so it, it was through different iterations but it's always kind of this networking sense uh, group for data centers for Microsoft. And uh, and you also mentioned AWS. So AWS has always, I mean, Amazon has always been, you know, one infrastructure group. So I've always been in that group. But um, of course, you know, in this today's sense of world, you know, there's always kind of, you know, a focus and there's technical focus. So I was in a team where, uh, you know, we first built out CloudFront, of course, data centers. Uh, I was in, you know, fulfillment center for a little bit and also uh, telecom. So Amazon was one of the first uh, companies to have large deployment for SIP-based call center. And this was all eventually evolved into a service. It's, uh, it escaped me at the time. I think it's, I believe it's called AWS Connect, but uh, and not to be confused with Direct Connect, right? But yeah. um, but eventually they they open that service up, and that's kind of the MO for AWS is something they use internally, and it's all just internal APIs, and then they put you know slap on the public API and make it an AWS service. So um, so that kind of give you a sense of you know kind of the the things that uh, you know things I've done with AWS and Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, it's really nice because I think for most people watching this, they are in an enterprise or perhaps even small, medium businesses. And it's really nice to have someone, you know, tell us a bit about working on the inside of the cloud because not everyone gets that opportunity. So yeah, you, I think go on. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, so um, so I think one of the running joke that we used to have at uh, AWS was at Amazon at AWS was that you know we'll just put it in the cloud, right? <laughs> because <laughs> you know we'll put it in S three. It's like it's kind of this uh, you know uh, what is it called? Like this contradicting feedback loop, right? Because it's the cloud for everybody else, but it's cabling power, switches, servers, you know, all these other stuff that it's the cloud for everybody else. But for us, it's very real. It's like we got to scale this thing to meet customer demand and how do we do it? But um, but I do find it that, you know, because I've worked in enterprise as well. I've worked in uh, service providers and enterprise. So I do find it kind of polarizing. So people in enterprise simply don't have the scaling problem of these public clouds. But at the same time, the public clouds live in a bubble where they see everything through this bubble where, you know, uh, Facebook's and Google, and there's only a selected few companies that have these challenges. So then we, I see this polarization for network engineering, especially that people with enterprise are just 
overwhelmed with the amount of technologies that you know coming at them, but they need to know a little bit of everything. Where the public cloud needs to go super deep in. in I mean. I have friends who file patents for cable management, right? <laughs> and I have friends who have filed patents for just, you know, like how do we get topple topple road down into in a in a short amount of distance, not to exceed uh, capacity to the the end of road, the kind of thing. So I see this this just polarization. You know, the day we live in is just amazing. It's so different than when I first started, and maybe when you first started as well. Oh yeah, I mean it's. I'm glad you you started talking about that because I was going to ask you, you know, what what's what's the difference between like your experience on the enterprise side and on the on the cloud side? And I think what you've said, correct me if I'm wrong, is enterprise today very broad, cloud you very very narrow on a specific topic, but scale. Yeah, that that's a uh, that's in general that's a very good summarization. I think um, at least in my personal view, right. So majority of my career has been on large scale data data center clouds, but uh, in my brief exposure to enterprise, and I, I I mean I think it would be great to hear you know from your audience on some of the comments or just the kind of challenges that people has been through because we we all could learn a lot from each other, right? I think I think in that sense is it's a very true. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, you got your CCIE about 10 years ago, is that right? Yeah. R- routing yeah. and switching, yeah? Routing and switching, right. I mean, I, I think I eventually tried to, I tried to go for voice, but at the time, um, Cisco had some proprietary protocols and they were not fully embracing SIP, but I was doing SIP mostly at the time. And so, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of voice over IP. I actually, if you check out my LinkedIn page, I actually have two patents on voice over IP. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, they all belong to Amazon, but <laughs> but yeah. So I was a, just to just to show evidence that I was a big fan of that, right? But um, but yeah, but uh, you know, then then I kind of deviated myself away from Cisco and. You know, unfortunately, my uh, CCIE expired after like five years. I think I renewed it once, but um, but yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know you're paying if you're going through CCIE and this this certification track. I know you're paying. You know, hanging there, the light is at the end of the tunnel, and I, I applaud your effort because you know you don't have to do it. But people who choose on down this path is really you know trying to grow themselves, uh, you know, voluntarily. So I applaud your path. I agree. Um... So what I was going to ask you is, you so you started like a typical network engineer, for lack of a better term, right. like routing and switching, right. traditional stuff. But you've kind of pivoted, if you like, or moved more and more into network automation, Python, it, DevOps, you know, whatever term. And it would be interesting to hear what you, <laughs> what you call it, whatever term we want to call it today. So when did you make that change from traditional CLI junkie, for lack of a better word, you know, the sure. CLI guy? to like yeah. automation and and how right. did that happen well i like to say that i have the foresight about 10 years ago but i really didn't <laughs> <laughs> it was really just by accident really um it was just a force by the job requirement really so if you imagine you know in the enterprise world maybe you build a few data centers a year and each data center maybe have i don't know 100 racks right uh give or take but um, so that is still manageable manually. I mean, it's not easy um, to to get into each devices and, and so on and so forth. If you think about, you know, like the typical 48 servers per rack and top of rack switch and you aggregate them into AGs and core. So it's doable. It's not easy. It's doable. But if you multiply that uh, by, I don't know, 5x, 
and then uh, and then you have to do that every two weeks. Then, then that's what the scales at the cloud, public cloud, right? And or you know, I don't want to just say public cloud, but so is you know, um, I guess Netflix uses AWS as a backend. So maybe like Facebook, right? Facebook, Google, um, back then Yahoo, Verizon, whatever it is that you know, all these companies uh, have very various degree, but they all just struggle to meet the demands. And uh, so I think it's really um, getting into it was really just a, a way for us to survive. Um, I'll tell you a story. When I first joined AWS, um, I was in a group and uh, working alongside with many, many other groups. It's called Tier 1 Services. So I work with all the Tier 1 Services owners. And uh, there was one time we were troubleshooting. I, this, this was like six months into the job. And this was one time we were both troubleshooting an issue that impacts both of us. And uh, I was just doing looking through logs. I was looking through configuration. And for a few hours, we couldn't figure it out. And um, eventually, the guy you know, wrote some Perl script. And then um, he went home, 5.30, he went home. It's like, oh, it's not my issue. And clearly, it wasn't his issue. And I was there for four hours. And at the end of the four hour, fourth hour, I was just, I talked to myself as I, I got to get some of that pearl magic, right? <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to go home at 532. But how do you get, you know, so much done? We look at the same amount of logs. We look at the same amount of, uh, equivalent same amount of lines. And how do you get done in 30 minutes? And I'm here four hours later, still trouble troubleshooting and, and trying to figure this out, right? So that was when I started to think about how do we do this and so on. And uh, and you mentioned Python, right? So it's, it's not... Um, I've always maintained a stand where that Python is for me, but you don't have to do Python, right? Just whatever tool that you choose. And in this case, the guy was using Perl, so that's great. Um, but you know, thing for me, um, the Python language just fits my brain, how my brain thinks. So you know, I've had exposure to Java and Perl and some of the other languages, but um, the way that Python was structured. Uh, just fits my brain a little bit better. So for people, I think for traditional networking, as you mentioned, David, that um, you know who's been dealing with CLI, one of the first questions they face is usually what language to pick. And um, you know, I would say give Python a shot. But if if it's really just not your cup of tea, don't worry about it. Go go try something else. As long as it gets the job done, I think that's fine. I think you've hit it on the head there. You know, it's it doesn't help to get you know. I don't know what the right term is, but get all mad about a specific language. You know, get yeah, like this is the no, language. No language war here. Sorry. Yeah, I said no language war here. Right. Like yeah, there's exactly. no data. Python's more superior, or I think there's a right tool for the job. I think a lot of times, uh, well, not a lot of times, but nowadays I see Go coming up yeah, a I was lot. Ask uh, about Go. Yeah, and uh, and that's great, right? Go is very quick, and Go is very um, uh, has certain advantages. I'm not a Go pro. Uh, I guess go laying pro, yeah. <laughs> but um, but uh, you know I heard a lot of great things about it. So if you if you like go go for it. Um, for me because um, on my day job, so I besides the Python book, I also wrote a uh, distributed denial service book for O'Reilly. So that is actually my day job. So that actually veers into a lot with data science, uh, analytics, and aggregating large amount of data into kind of. Uh, actionable insights. So Python actually veers great into that area as well. So I'm sticking with Python, but you know, I see Go being uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the the guys are are fans of Go, which is great. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because, I mean, for a long time, I've been saying learn Python. It's easy to yeah. get started. Um, right. There's a lot of free stuff out there, um, a lot of right. the Cisco stuff. And I use Cisco because I think most guys work with Cisco. Um, sure. You know, Cisco works well with Python. But it's interesting that you mentioned Go. So if, if someone was learning a language today, like this yep. is their first language, you'd, you'd still right. recommend Python. Is that right? I would, but you know, I have a bias toward Python. No, that's fine. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's yeah. just based on your experience. I mean, you're a CCIE. You've got all this experience. You're working on crazy large networks. It's great to get your opinion, and I, I would agree with you. Python makes it easy. So it's yeah. like we said: don't get into a war about a language, but you've got to start somewhere. Exactly. And I'm going to steal Michael Kennedy, the host of Talk Python to me, is a, a quote here. So I think uh, there are multiple times if you listen to his podcast and his guests, right? So it seems like there's a trend going that you could start small in Python. I mean, it's a language that easily gets started, like you said. But um, for perhaps some of the other languages that are easy to get started, you hit that ceiling where you go to a certain level and then 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 what, right? You're yeah. twiddling your thumb and it's like, okay, so, so it's slow and uh, there's no way to speed it up. So now you have to go and pick something else, maybe um, something that's binary, that compiled before you actually execute, whatever it is, right? But um, but Python it doesn't, have, doesn't have that ceiling. Like once you learn it, then you could go into say uh, web development, you know, for sure, Django, Flask, you could go into data science. There's actually dedicated conferences for uh, uh, you know data science scientists using Python and uh, called PyData. And uh, you could also go into DevOps, like like what we've done, right? You could write Ansible modules, and there's um, Python hookup hook, hooks for most of the uh, uh, most of the framework that you could think of, Chef, Puppet, and so on. So I think that ceiling, I mean, at least for me, um, I guess what this is what uh, five, six, seven years later, I still haven't found that ceiling, which is great, right? Yeah. That's a great protection for your time investment. And like I said, and as you alluded to, David, that you know, if if you tried it, it's not your cup of tea. Don't worry about it. You're already a better network engineer. You're already a better, you know, people DevOps engineer by learning a little bit of Python and move on to Go or stick with Perl. I mean, Haskell, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to ask you, like, in your job, yeah, could you do your day-to-day -day job without Python or without network automation? Or are you saying it's kind of impossible? Yeah, it, it's impossible. So, um, so right now we do a lot of our work with both in our own hosted environment as well as. So I work for A10 Network. So shout out to A10 yeah. peeps out there. <laughs> but um, so you know, as far as automation, uh, as far as managing our own network, managing our own infrastructure, there's just no way that you know, not a day goes by where I don't hit up hit up a terminal whether to look at code, write some code, or just review other people's code. And um, and in today's world, even in the most basic sense for AWS, that you you know you only do the most basic things in the console. Everything else is through you know APIs or uh, Boto, their their Python SDK, and so on. And same thing for Azure. So you would recommend like an engineer if they're starting out. Let's say they um, they 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 want to. They're not quite sure, because I get this question a lot. Like, should I yeah. study CCNA? Should I study right. Python? Should I right. study CCMP? Should I study Python? Is there a future for network engineers? You know, that kind of thing. What would yeah. you say? You know, I would say get small wins. Like, for me, it's always um, small wins, and gradually, um, I think you've mentioned it in your, in your uh 
YouTube videos and podcasts and writing as well is this stretch goal, right? A deliberate practice where um, you kind of learn the thing that stretches your limit just a little bit, right? Not impossible because you would just give up. And uh, and and that's so easy that you could do it in your sleep, then it's not challenging enough. So stretch goal. And I think if you match that stretch goal approach with uh, small wins on your job, then you get rewarded right away. So going back to the question that that we take is that, you know, learn CCNA, learn Python, go for CCNP, so on and so forth, is just to match up your job. If your job is heavily, say you work for a reseller, of course, go as far as you could. You actually get benefits for like actual dollar discounts from Cisco by being a CCMP, by being a CCNA. You bring actual value to an employer by, you know, getting these certs and and so on. So um, I think you it's it's up to you. I think only you could answer that. But um, but I would say focus on focus on getting small wins, stretch practice, and getting rewarded. So for me, in my own personal experience, um, the certification just doesn't offer uh, value to to my employer, and I'm not getting rewarded. In fact, when I received my CCIE, I think I think I got a, a, like a hundred dollar bonus from my manager. It's <laughs> a pat on the back, but after years of studying, hours of labbing, that doesn't even cover my lab costs, right? But that's okay. You know, that's my personal satisfaction. And I've, I've got that box to check off. But, um, but it would have been nice had it been, you know, a reseller and, you know, you actually get dollar discount, you could negotiate for maybe a better title or whatnot. But um, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm deviating away. No, from no, no, the it's question. great. It's great. Go for it. Yeah. So yeah, so I think the answer for me is you, only you can answer that. But um, focus on stretch goals, focus on small rewards, and of course, you and I both agree that networking fundamental is a must, right? Yeah. Like you got to learn about arping, you got to learn about like doesn't really matter what you go into, but networking. Even if you do, because um, I was just just uh, making some changes to our Direct Connect. Uh, yesterday, and without some of the fundamental networking knowledge, I could not have get it done, or it would have taken me a lot longer to do. Um, so, so routing is is you know obviously important, even for Direct Connect and VPN. You know, all the cloud providers are recommending BGP. So, uh, so yeah, so arguably it's even more important, right? Because with all these vast majority of technologies that deviate and specialize you have to normalize on fundamentals. You have to normalize on TCP IP. You have to normalize on the protocols. So um, so get the fundamentals down, focus on rewards and doing stretch goals. That would be my my personal recommendation. And it's the same message that I tell my friends and um, so I, you know, I actually mentor some younger engineers in, in, you know, various jobs. So those are the exact words that I, I tell them. Find the most highest priority in your group, work on those, and then find the skills that interest you to match those goals, and I think you you won't be disappointed. So, Eric, sorry, I had a technical problem there. So, let me ask you this question: If someone's studying at CCNA level, would you recommend right. that they first complete their CCNA or start Python straight away? And the same at CCMP: Should they study Python at the same time as CCMP, or should they wait till they get their CCMP before they start with Python? Just you know, what what would you say? Yeah, so if some person have asked me that question, I would say depending on 
if that studying, if the CCA is taking up 100% of your free time, right? Because if it is, then you got to get your, like, I'm also a big believer in getting your rest and getting that margin that you need just to be productive. You know, don't yeah. sacrifice your sleep just for certification, right? So I would ask you, you know, I would actually answer your question with the question that um, is the CCNA studying taking out 100% of your time or is it, uh, is it taking up, or can you cut off, you know, some time watching TV, or maybe you could, uh, you know, shorten up your workout routine, and whatnot, and still get the most efficient workout that you do, that you could squeeze in some time. If the answer is yes in the that question, then uh, like you have some additional free time, then go invest in Python because. Um, like I said, it's a good investment of your time. You will be a better network engineer as a result. You will be a better engineer, period, right? Like in today of age, you be a, you can't go wrong. So if you have some free time that's um, outside of studying, go for it. Go go studying Python. But if not, then stick with CCNA, right? I'm all, uh, like I said, you know, focus is very important as well. So focus on CCNA, get that, get that thing out of the way, and then ask yourself, uh, from small wins and um, uh, small wins and deliberate practice that do you want to spend some time going with Python? And if you, you know, don't just take my word for it. Go out and do your research, right? Find somebody who you respect as a, as a technical, you know, illuminary in your field and follow them on Twitter. And nowadays, you know, look them up on LinkedIn and, you know, read their blog and see what their thoughts are. I, I think from my from my research, I mean, I was in the same boat as you. I would look it directly in your eye and say, a couple of years ago, I was in the same boat. I got my CCIE and I was wondering where to go next. Another CCIE or, you know, Python or Ansible, whatever it is. But, uh, and I ended up going for Python just because I look up the industry. I actually go try it out. I talk to people. Um, not you, David. I think a couple of years yeah, ago, I couldn't. Generally. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but you know, I haven't seen seen you a couple of years ago. But but now you know, people on your audience, go go look at David's channel, look at his past recordings, and if you if you trust him, and I think a lot of your audience do, then uh, you know, make your own judgment. But you know, take uh, take these people's advice who's been there, and and uh, determine your own path. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I I I think it's really. Python is really important these days. I mean, I'll, I'll say it straight because I think Cisco pushing it, it's it's kind of the market's going that way. It's interesting. I mean, you were forced to learn it. Um, well, I mean, you saw the advantage. That other chap was able to do his work much quicker than you. So there was like a real incentive to do that. And then in work, you know, in the cloud, you, you have to do it. But I think it's for me, it's like this whole thing. Once you've done it, you'll never look back. Because Yeah, I agree. You know, it's like having a... I don't know how to say it. It's like walking versus having a Ferrari type thing. You know, <laughs> once you once you get that, it's like why would you go back to the old way of doing it? I don't know if you agree yeah. with that, but that's sort of my take. Yeah, you know, and uh, and I think Cisco started out. If you remember a few years ago, Cisco was really resistant, right? Like they 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 yeah. kind of like Microsoft, right? They they were used. To, they say open source was cancer, and then they turn around and fully <laughs> embrace open source. And that's kind of like Cisco with um, automation. Cisco initially was just like, no, we own it. If you want automation, we got some software. Give us a bucket of money, and we'll manage it for you. And um, I like to think that we play some part in that, right? So because of you know, the places we worked at, we have a real purchasing power and we actually put in the Python requirement. And if you remember the N3K, I mean, that was one of the first platforms that they actually, you know, instead of building their own chipset, they actually go out and bought Broadcom chipsets. And and by default, they had, you know, Python 
you know, anyways, um, so N3K was the, the first foray and we worked closely with Cisco at the time to uh, make it better. And, uh, you know, of course, Arista is always there and Cumulus. So all of these industry movements are moving toward uh, having Python as kind of the de facto common denominator uh, as far as network automation and so on. So um, all these, all these, you know, movements, you know, what, what, I think if you go out, and I'm talking to the audience out there, that if you go out and do your own research, you will find that there's so much resources. The ceiling is basically non-existent at this moment, and uh, you'll make you a better engineer. So, so go for it. You know, network fundamentals, but after the fundamentals, I, I would say it's the best investment of your time. See, here's a hard question because, I mean, you've actually, Uh-oh. it's a good example, yeah. You let your CCIE expire, is that right? So, yeah. Um, so you actually, I've seen some guys say this. They they say, should I do Python or should I do CCIE? So that's a different right. kettle of fish now because, I mean, sure. I agree, CCNA, CCMP, you need fundamentals. You can't, yep. the quickest way to automate, sorry, the quickest, I've said it before, the quickest way to destroy a network, and many guys have said it, is to automate it, yeah? Yeah, yeah, Because exactly. if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to screw it up badly. Yeah, you poke yourself in the <laughs> eye and just like you poke it like faster, so fast <laughs> that you can't even blink. Yeah, so so you need to understand what the automation is actually doing. But, yeah. So here's a hard question: Would you, if it was, if you were starting again today, let's say you yeah. just got your CCMP, and right. you, with your experience and your knowledge, would yeah. you go and do a CCIE or would you go full blown, you know, automation Python whatever? Yeah, I think you put in in the very important context there, David, is that if you were start today, right? So you know. It, you and I both got our CCIE a long time ago, like yeah. 10 years ago for me and probably longer for you. Yeah. But um, so 10 years ago, it was a different landscape. Like yeah. the way to move up the chain was actually to know more Cisco and be, you know, mindful and know these tricks, right? Like how do you get a subnet math that's, you know, instead of binary, like, like you know, increments of one. Like how do you construct bin mask? That, I mean, these you don't really use in the network. So um so 10 years ago was a very different landscape and I decided to go for my CCIE because of what it was. Today, really, today is really up in the air and I'm leaning probably 60% toward Python uh, or programmability. That, that, that's not even say Python, right? It doesn't have to be Python, but programmability that um, I will lean toward that 60 or even a little bit higher than that. The only thing is that, the only thing that would, would sway me toward doing CCIE is if, if I get huge amount of rewards by getting that number, right? Maybe I work for a reseller, maybe um, I work for Cisco, and that was the way to you know move up the chain. So in these cases, I would probably go for CCIE, maybe multiples of them, right? Because those are what's required by the job, and it's still stretched. And, and also, even if you work for resellers in Cisco, you could still learn Python and get ahead, right? That's not, you know, there's no, no, no wrong way about doing that. But um, yeah, so I would say just to give a, a simple answer, I would, I would go for uh, Python. If all you have is, you know, 90 minutes a day to study and you want to dedicate on something, I would go for Python for majority of the case, unless you get uh, deliberately in your job that you could get benefit from a CCIE. In that case, you're not doing it on your free time. You're spending the company dime on, you know, uh, you know, furthering your own skill set. Then that's a different story. I think that's a great answer. I think that's, yeah. that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, so if it's if there's a financial benefit, like you're working for a reseller, um, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah. but if you like, in your example, and sorry, Eric, I want to talk about your book. 
Um, yeah, no worries. <laughs> but uh, it's so cool to get like your your view on all of this stuff. Um, and hopefully we can have a lot of calls because I want to like pick your brains. Um, if you were working for a AWS, like you mentioned, you you guys in AWS, I think you were at AWS at that point. You you put pressure on Cisco, so that yep. I mean the cloud providers have kind of changed the landscape a lot. So in right. a cloud provider, Cisco gear isn't necessarily always that important. Like Facebook have their own switches and stuff. So right. is that is that true? Fair to say that you know, like especially like in the cloud environment, you know, Python programmability becomes even more important. Yeah, yeah. So I was with Microsoft at the time. Sorry, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no. Worries. So I was with Microsoft and for sure, right? So uh, it's no it's no secret that these big players have gone closer to upstream. So they're making their own switch. They're, you know, like Facebook, in, in Facebook's case, they actually, you know, uh, created their own FBOS operating system, right? So um, so they're deviating away from from these. And all of these are contributing first to the what we talked about the polarization but also you know once they they kind of trigger down into you know the cumulus or the um, the pika eights the uh, some of the other vendors who are kind of segregating um, hardware from software so um, so in the true sense of um, merit-based switching that Cisco is less of an influencer, I would say, right? And then it's reflected in their market share. So in my own opinion, that, yeah, you know, the landscape has changed and, and it's changing even faster that, um, you know, there's multiple players in, in and, and getting more niched, right? So we used to discuss networking as like this, this monolithic thing yeah. where, you know, you're just having the packet pass, but now we should discuss networking in terms of data center, in terms of you know, say storage, in terms of you know clouds, and in, so it's getting more specialized. So then, then you talk about data center switching. Is Cisco still relevant? And you're talking about you know service provider networking. Is Cisco still there? And you're talking about cloud networking. Then Cisco is basically not there, right? Like, or I'm, I'm sorry, very small percentage, right? They they just came out with some. You know, uh, so Amazon Post or whatever it is, right? Like, so we could go on and on, but at the end of the day, you you probably want to get get laser focused on the industry you're talking about, yeah. and then we could have a much more relevant conversation rather than just treating networking as a monolithic, you know, term of industry. Great, great, great answer. Really good answer. I like that. Thanks, so Eric. I've been holding you off, so um, I want to talk about your book. How much time we still got? Yeah, yeah, no, I I got all day to talk about my book, right? It's right. a labor of love. <laughs> right. So, so I hope you have the time to listen to me. Oh yeah, mumbling. no, definitely. I'm really enjoying this. It's really nice talking to you. It's um, yeah, thanks. It's always nice to get you know different views. Um, yeah. And experiences, and you've obviously had a lot of experience in different fields, so it's or different like customers, large scale. So it's really nice to get that input. So thanks. Eric, I'm gonna say I've got both your books here. So I've yeah. got. Um, I appreciate that you actually bought both. So oh, I, of course, I yeah. That. I like to. I, I like to read physical books. It's always nice to get a nice. PDF, but it's. Um, I when I study, it's nice to. I prefer the physical. I'm old school, you know, showing my age. Yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. I mean, I I'll show you right now, right? Like I have a bunch of books here, and I also have my physical book on Elasticsearch. I have uh, Jason's book. I have the Python Essential Reference. So yeah, for sure. Like this half where it's super messy is full of books. No, I'm the same. I got a lot of lots yeah. of these. So to give us the 
overview of your book to like I I'm I'm we'll talk about second edition and then I'd like to sure. ask you about why there's a big change between the two editions. So can you tell us a bit about this book? I did a bit of a overview of it before, but I mean it's much better if it comes directly from you. So tell us, you know, why you wrote the book, what what's it about, you know, sort of why would a network engineer buy this book? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, again, I appreciate you having me here, David. And I appreciate that podcast you did. I mean, I'm not podcast, the the uh, YouTube video that you did about overviewing my book. I think it gave uh, the people who, you know, have only five minutes to spare, like a good overview of that book. So that's great. So in my own personal, I guess, journey of writing this book, I've always wanted to write books. Uh, it just the opportunity came a lot earlier than it did than I anticipated, right? I thought I, I, I'll retire first before I write this book, <laughs> um, but uh, but it turns out that the opportunity arrived uh, and I grabbed it. So um, so the reason for the book, if I could summarize it in one sentence, is to avoid the mistakes I've made. Please, right. like, there's no 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 point in hitting your bang your head on the same wall that I did. Yeah. So I wanted to share with you and say, hey, I tried that route and didn't really work, right? And I I poke myself in the eye and stay up till two a.m. So don't no need for you to do that. So what I try to do is, what would I say to myself five years ago when I first started this journey of doing Python for network engineering? So um. So the book kind of mirrors my path, really, and the kind of what I would think that a network engineer would start with. So you always start with, you know, interacting physically with the device, right? How do I programmatically grab information out of the, this device? What if I only have SSH access? What if I have API access? What do you know, so on and so forth. So how do I grab information out of the device? And that basically covered the first two, few chapters, you know, talk about yep. Paramigo, PXBAT, REST API. And then you move on to Ansible, where you know it's another abstraction layer to grab information out of the box. But but it doesn't really matter what tool you use. At the end of the day, you're always trying to get information out of the box. So that's the first section that maybe covers the first five chapters. Yeah. And then um, and then you move on into okay, now I have this information. How do I make more use of it? And then how do I you know have more insights or have more a programmatic way of managing the the device, right? So then you talk about we talked about the book will cover security, monitoring, visualizing network data, and even building your own API, right? If you have, if you normalize on APIs for all of your network devices, but you have these like legacy devices that sitting in the data center that hasn't been upgraded for five six years, you still want to put a API on top of it. It's actually one of my favorite chapters to writing your own API so that you could abstract that legacy software and appear as a unisom to external uh, you know, engines, like whether that be a, a programmer that you work with, or maybe that would be yourself, or maybe you will be a managing uh, station that, you know, talks your device, right? So that covers maybe chapter, I forgot exactly, but maybe six to nine. So, you know, monitoring, visualization, and building APIs and security a little bit, you know. Um, and then, then you move on and say, okay, now I have all these surrounding services down. How do I make it easier uh, to live with these 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 uh, scripts and these uh, configuration files that I have, so then you move on to say uh, Git, uh, continuous integration, testing, and uh, cloud networking because like we can't avoid the cloud nowadays. So really, just three sections. The first section, you know, maybe up to first five chapters, is just how do I get information out of the device. Second was all these associated services, monitoring, security, and then the third was 
I guess uh, you alluded to DevOps. So I would kind of use uh, Hank's term of, you know, net net ops. I think that's what net they DevOps, use. Yeah, net DevOps. Yeah. So so I was I'll probably broadly categorize that. So in a nutshell, that's what I did. And uh, the reason to write is that it's a labor of love. And uh, oh, by the way, yeah. So if you bought the book, and you know, thank you, you're one of the the guys who bought the book. All of my proceeds goes to charity. So I actually tracks the the charity that I donate to uh, from the book proceeds on my blog. So you know, hold myself accountable for it. But uh, but for sure, it's a labor of love. And uh, I'm you know, if anybody finds it useful, if only one person finds it useful, I'm, I'm glad for it. I think that's really important to say. I mean, you so all the. Pro, the profits for whatever whatever the term is the the, the royalty yeah. should I say that you get yep. actually you don't see that it goes to a charity is that right? Yeah. So toward the end of the the book, uh, you know, obviously I I, I uh, there there a lot of people who I respect in the Python community and uh, Kenneth Rents I think it's his name. I mean, I'm sorry, like you know, Ken, if I if I forgot your last name, but the guy who wrote the Hitchhiker's Guide to Python. And uh, the author of Request Library, which is super popular, I think yeah. you use it too, right? Yeah. Um, I seen it in some of your code. Is that um, so? He he wrote that book and donated all of his proceeds from that book to uh, PyGal, and so you know, so essentially, it's an organization who promotes teaching Python to uh, minorities, especially ladies. That uh, so he donates all of his proceeds, and I'm like, hey, if he could do it, I could do it too. So then, um, of course, my book is not probably not nearly as successful as his, but, you know, I do my part, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and it's also a way for me to uh, pay back for the community, right? So, you know, Python Software Foundation, who's been so great at promoting and uh, some of the organizations I'm involved with and uh, my my tech reviewers for the book, you know, I, I asked them to designate a charity and I donated to them. So, so those are kind of just the ways that I say thank you um, for, for people who have helped me. That's brilliant. Uh, that's really brilliant. Um, I mean, it's always nice to hear that, you know, you. I think it's we've said this before, you and I, you know, books, if you write a book like this, it's it, it's a labor of love, as you said. It's um, You're not going to get rich off a, off a niche book like this. Um, yeah. This is more yeah. about giving back. So, I mean, I really appreciate you taking the effort to write this book, Eric. I mean, it's, it's a very good book. So now I've got some questions for Thank you. Thank you. First one yeah. would be, if I... Is there required reading before I take this book? I mean, I kind of said to other guys they should look at perhaps some other books before they look at yours. Um, and I don't know if you agree with that. I mean, can someone who's, say, CCNA just grab your book and start studying? Probably not. So this was a, a struggle for me uh, personally to say at which point should I start, yeah. right? Like it's just such a big and broad uh subject. So I agree 100% with you David that if they could only buy one book or if they want to start somewhere, get the get the Jason uh, Edelman and Lowe and uh, Matt Oswald's book Network Programmability and Automation. It's really nicely done and and by the way, neither of us gets commission from promoting their <laughs> yeah, book, no, right? Not at all. So, no. No, yeah, I don't make so, any money off this stuff. No, no. So um so yeah, but it's my honest opinion that and uh, and and full disclosure, right? So I was a I was a tech reviewer for that book. So I wrote the I read the first fifty percent, and I could tell you, they've actually took the time and uh, modify the first fifty percent and the rest of the book in accordance with how the industry have evolved. Because yeah. if you, I mean, I pre-ordered that book back in twenty sixteen, right? And that's how long it's been. And I read the first fifteen 
50% rough draft of that book. And I would tell you, those three guys really put in the time and effort to to make changes, to update their content. And it's uh, it's a huge effort to actually cover the amount of topic that they could cover. They even covered culture, right? Yeah. The last chapter on that book was how do you get a automation culture in an organization who's maybe stuck in uh, the mindset of CLI junkie. So um, so it's really a nicely done effort. If you only have one book, if you have, have you know time to read one book, like you said, David, go for that book. And then... Um, and then if you, if you, I would say it's optional, but go through the python.org uh, tutorial on, you know, just the basics of the language. Um, for second edition, I've actually made sure that all the, all the scripts and so on are, uh, py- work with Python 3, all the libraries and so on are Python 3. So if you ch- so choose to, and for those who doesn't know that Python, t- Python has been this transition period with the moving from Python 2 to Python 3. And we'll, we'll, we'll start calling Python to mean Python 3 yeah. and legacy Python to be Python 2. So nowadays, if you're just starting out and if you have, have time for just learning, you know, just the most crucial stuff, then go for Python 3 and go through the tutorial and then pick up my book. You don't have to read it end to end. Just pick the session that you like or the big session that would give you the most bang for your work buck. So that you could get that small win. Like again, I, I think it's it it couldn't be stretched enough to have small wins in your work, because that's when it's it's a hard path, and you will hit your head, you will get frustrated, and and so on. And the only thing that would keep you going is if you could see the reward at the end, whether that's a personal satisfaction, whether that's you know kind kind of you know. Uh, just, just uh, you know, getting getting a raise, getting better promotion, getting that project done, spend more time with your family, whatever it is. The only thing that will get you going is if you have those small rewards. And so that, um, so I would say, pick the session that's most useful for you. If it, if you want to learn about like graph, how to, you already have the network information, and you just want to graph your topology, or if you want to do some statistics, yeah, go straight to the monitoring section or, or a chapter and then pick up the scripts that it work that works for you. I try very hard, like my nightmare, my, my biggest nightmare for the book would be that uh, somebody would say, would take the book and say, oh, the, the code doesn't work, right? <laughs> and so that was my biggest nightmare. So I try very hard. I, so for the second edition, I actually ran through all the scripts over again on a brand new, you know, Ubuntu installation. So, so of course, I can't, I can't say it will work universally. You work on Windows platform. You work on, you know, every single flavor of Linux and you know whatever. But, um, but I always tell you, for the condition I've set, Ubuntu, Linux, and these library versions, they work. So you don't have to poke yourself, uh, yourself in the eye or get frustrated like I did. Um, take a script that works, expand on it. For feel free to to borrow them or feel free to just just take them and use it however it is because uh, because that's what they're there for and and I didn't do it by myself I use libraries from other people who have written and uh, so it's a huge you know open source community and you know the book would not be possible without all these guys effort you know request library Paramico uh, I don't use Napalm but it's a great effort by those guys as well so it's great to see these. Uh, these people coming together. I mean, when when you and I first started with automation, it felt lonely, didn't it? Yeah, very much. So. <laughs> yeah, it felt it felt like it felt like we were just the only guys doing it. But nowadays, look at all these guys are working together. Look at these community who's encouraging each other. So it's beautiful. 
Yeah, what I wanted to say is what I really liked about your book versus a lot of the others that I've seen is yeah. you've got really good examples of code. Okay. Um, I mean, it's not just Python. You've also got Ansible, which is great to see. Yeah. You know, I actually have to fight with the publisher a little bit to get those chapters <laughs> in because uh, those are not... I mean, let's be honest, right? Those are not actually Python. Those no. are like YAML. Ansible. Yeah, those are Ansible. Those are kind of language, uh, domain-specific terms and languages that are specific to Ansible. But, uh, but you know, at the end, you know, I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad I went in. I'm glad, you know, I, I won that battle. So, uh, so hopefully you find those useful. But, um, but yeah. So, so if you, it's kind of funny because I, I title those as like the Python automation framework, <laughs> just so that, just so I could squeeze that in. But <laughs> I'm glad you did. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's it's the content that matters, and and hopefully, you know, people find it helpful. Yeah, I think it's really good. I mean, it's um, like I said when I did the re- original review. I think it's fantastic yeah. to go, like you can use this as a reference. It's fantastic to see the examples. Um, so I wanted to ask you as well. You know, Python or Ansible? Which one would you start with? Yeah, you know. Um, I would say Python, and that's coming from a person who attended Ansible Fest for the last two years and spoke at Ansible 2018, wow. that um, go for Python uh, only because, like I said, it's more broad-based. Uh, you could always start with Python and go into DevOps, i.e. Ansible, and go into data science, go into web development, go into all these other different fields that interest you. Um, but for Ansible, it's kind of clearly defined for automation space. Right, so I think the usage is a little bit more narrow. So if you're asking this question, my guess is that you're open for both. Um, but if for people who needs to know Ansible, they already know they gotta know Ansible. So um, so for people who ask that question, I think if you're open for both, equally footing, then go for Python. Yeah, I think it's just guidance for new people because you know yeah. one, one of the problems. It's great that we have all these options today, but yeah. it's confusing. So, yeah, you know, for like, sure. where, where do you start? So I would yeah. agree with you. I would start with Python. Um, Ansible, I, 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 found, I find Ansible sometimes frustrating. I mean, I've come from a development background many, many years ago. And oh, it, nice. it's nice to be, well, not that, not, not that I was a great developer, but anyway, I knew a bit. Um, it's nice to, once you can create something yourself and you have that power, it's difficult to, you know, be abstracted too much sometimes. Sometimes it's yeah. nice just to do it your own way because you can, it's like clay, you can mold it any way you want. So for my personal preference, I like Python. And it's like interesting you said, that you said that. A, uh, Go on. Yeah. No, no. Like you said, right? It's Ferrari versus, I don't know what you said, Honda? <laughs> Walking, but I mean, it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you could create stuff, it's it's enormous power, right? Um, oh, yeah. It's just, just amazing. I think that's the thing, you know, as a network engineer, I like to say you, you get a box of tools and that's all you have. Like, yeah. okay, what IGP are you going to choose? EIGRP, OSPF, RIP, or ISIS, or, or you know, basically those are your tools. Um, yeah. Whereas with Python, the sky's the limit. You do what you want. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to Packet Pusher, which is not a great podcast for, you know, us network engineers, is that, um, you know, and and they're right. BGP's been around for, for tens of years and hasn't changed. Yeah. Like the same 14 knobs that we use and let's face it, right? Like people only use the top five: yeah. your AS prepend, your meds, and your um, local pref, right? That's all you do. And uh, it's been tens of years that hasn't changed. So for a traditional network engineer, uh, you know, who has been stuck with those tools, it's so refreshing, so refreshing 
to just have these this world open wide for you, right? Yeah. But as you said, as you said, it's so important to get the first step right because there's just so many tools. And um, and like I said, I made my fair share of mistakes, right? Like I bang my head on you know some of these syntaxes of Perl, and then I went to look at like for example uh, the chapters on on APIs. You know, I tried out everything. I started Web2Py. I mean, not not many people heard about it, right? I started with Web2Py. I try out Django. I try out um, uh, these other like Bottle, right? All these yeah. other frameworks that that you know people could use, and I finally settled on Flask. So um, so if you were brand new to it and um, and you're open for it, you know what I'm saying is. Go try out Flask first from somebody who's tried five other frameworks and finally decide on Flask that you know don't walk all these other paths and land on the same mistakes that I did. So um, so that's that's I guess part of my small contribution to the community is that you know these are from my own personal uh, you know last seven eight years of making mistakes and and finally arriving at something that works. And um, if you look at the forward by by Rich is that. Um, you know, these these actually work. We use these scripts every day in production to to solve the problems that we saw. I mean, I guess not the exact same because we have to have testing and so on. But you know, these are these scripts are scaled down in order to make it digestible. But uh, but they're not that different than what we use every day in production. Yeah, just so that for guys who don't know what that is, Flask. In very basic terms, a lot of Python examples, and this is another reason why I really like your book. A lot of um, Python scripts that you see, or a lot of code st- examples, it's just code. It's not like a GUI, whereas you yeah. actually go to the next level where you say, okay, so we do it scripts, we get the information back from the devices, but now we're going to visualize it in a in like a GUI interface. So could you just like in a few minutes, what is Flask? Does it, it basically allows you to have GUI, is that right? Yeah, basically. So Flask, um, not necessarily, but for, for Flask is just a web framework that uh, it um, it started out with an easy way to build backends for uh, for web. So you know, um, you know, it, it's it. it um, I think one of the most useful was I, I I will probably butcher the technical term, but basically it's a it's a URL routing. Right, it's a decorator that you put in front of your function and say matching, you know, slash index or slash root or slash, you know, Eric slash Cho to particular function which returns the HTML page, which you don't have to write yourself. So I think back in the day when I was in college, I actually we actually have to hard code HTML, right? Your yeah. HTML slash slash body slash head or or whatnot uh, and slash HTML that includes in the whole DOM. But um, so Flask is a, a framework that abstracts you away from it. But what ended up happening is that Flask um, it goes into the philosophy of differences between these Python frameworks. But basically, a lot of people call Flask a micro framework, which is because you could start very, very small, very similar to Python. That you know, you could. I think the first example they they did on on the Flask tutorial was eight lines. So for eight lines of code, you can actually have a, uh, you know, displaying a not so beautiful index.html page back to the user. So the philosophy was you could start small and you could do some URL routing, which in our case, we use it for APIs, right? So yeah. you got like slash router one slash interface slash one that you could route to a direct function. And that function would go out and say, use any of the library that would cover in the first four chapters or even Ansible playbook 
to go out and grab the information and present it as a dictionary back to the user. So Flask is a web framework that is, you know, quote unquote micro, to, so you could start small and then um, add more modules as you see fit, much more like Python importing libraries. So, uh, so there's a bunch of plugins and modules that, you know, uh, will enhance it as opposed to some of the other frameworks, w which are great, like Django, that um, I think, quote unquote, they're um, perfectionists with a deadline. That, that is the, the audience that they aim for, right? So which means they already have very opinionated way of talking to databases, opinionated way of how you could um, use uh, CSS and, and HTML, right? So so if you're interested, go go look them up. And I think I got that tag correctly. So these are different uh, opinions. And um, and uh, me personally, for our contact, network engineering contacts, writing APIs, I personally believe Flask is the way to go. So yeah. um, I think that's a long answer for a short question, but um, but that's that's my opinion. No, I agree. I mean, it's it's it's, it's like you said earlier. You want sh you want quick wins. Yeah. Um, you know, you you want to spend as little time as you can to get as much as you can. And I think Python with Flask will give you that. So I'm really glad you brought that up. So yeah. another hard question for you, Eric. I've got both books in front of me here. Yep. Um, I was looking at it earlier today just to make sure I, I was ready for this call. And I think it's like four, maybe five chapters of yeah. your first book that you've changed in your second book, second re yeah. re 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 revision, um, yeah. or second edition, sorry. Um, yeah. So the first book had a focus quite heavily on OpenFlow and sort yep. of SDN. Yep. Um, why the major change? Yeah, David, it was a sad day when I. <laughs> so when just, I just so everyone knows, your second book yeah. doesn't have OpenFlow in it, does it? No, no. Um, yeah. So. So it was a sad day when I <laughs> when I decided to take out the OpenFlow chapter. So yeah, precisely, it was 10 to 13. So four chapters in the first edition was on OpenFlow. So and that oh, I'm sorry, SDN, and then three of them were on OpenFlow, which was you know going from the intros to kind of more advanced, and then it went into some of the projects like Open Daylight or uh, I think even went into Open Control, whatever it is that yeah, you, know, you got Redo and yeah as well, yeah, yeah, and then. Um, Anyways, yeah, so four chapters on that, um, but and, and I was a true believer. If you if you go on my blog, right, it's timestamp. Twenty eleven was the time when I wrote my uh, when I wrote my uh, blog post about uh, OpenFlow and um, uh, SoftSwitch and all all that stuff. Oh wow! So I was yeah, so I was a true believer, and for a while that was like ranked number one on Google for 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 articles in that category. So I was really a believer and I continue to be a believer. But at the end of the day, it's about the reader. It's about how much value the reader could get out of it and what appeals to the majority of people who I think would pick up this book. That's how much value can they apply in their daily job. And let's be honest. I mean, I, I will ask you right now, like how many uh, production deployment have you seen that's based on pure open flow? You don't do it. <laughs> Precisely, right? Precisely. It's great, that, great for university projects. But exactly, and that started out as a university project at Stanford. But um, but yeah, so so 
so to make to the simple answer would just be that I think it would be more value for people to know about Git or to know about Jenkins, to know about uh, AWS networking, than to learn about this OpenFlow 1.3 protocol that negotiates MAC address uh, of your your control nodes, right? And and um and we work with Big Switch um big big switch uh early on uh through the daemon project and i continue to to talk to kyle and some of the other guys at big switch and you would notice that their their documentation actually took out openflow even though they were one of the two companies nicera being another one that are the two early companies that that bank their future on openflow nowadays they actually took out OpenFlow from uh, this term OpenFlow on a lot of their documentations, wow. and that's just a sign of the times. So, um, yeah, so so the reason to take it out was just so that I think people would be more beneficial from the book. Not that I'm not a fan of it. I'm still a big fan of it. Um, there are times I still think about how can we make OpenFlow work in the projects I work on, but those are less and less, almost almost to zero nowadays. Um, yeah, so so I I hope I, I hope see, that see you saying that with a heavy heart, man. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, you know I I truly hoped OpenFlow had taken off just because of the freedom it has. Yeah. But if you compare the first edition and the second edition, if you look at the example, even just to get a MAC address table built, something we all take for granted, right? You plug yeah. in a, a switch, and you know spanning trees already there. You know MAC address arping is still there, but it took lines and lines and lines of code to get uh, just to build a MAC address table, right? Think about it. You have to have a dictionary, some kind of storage to know the the source address of that ARP request. And then you got to put the flow down to ARP to all the other ports except the source port. And then you have to keep track of the responses. Then you build that MAC address to complete that first ARP request, right? Or then you do the ARP response. So think about that. Something that we take for granted would take lines and lines of code. And that eventually becomes a kind of the Achilles heel for OpenFlow. It's just too complicated. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's the way they are. And uh, we should just kind of move on. And, and like the world is just so, so great and full of challenges to be stuck on one problem. So here's the hard question. Yeah. I'm, I'm new to networking. I'm, sure. say, CCNA. Sure. Should I learn OpenFlow or should I forget about it? At this point, just forget about it. Unless you work for Google, but you you, you won't for you won't work for Google if you just started networking. <laughs> unless you yeah. do some something others, right? But um, I would tell you the only the only uh, production deployment that I've heard of for pure OpenFlow was Google's uh, you know WAN network from their from not SD WAN but like the WAN network that has a controller that balances out the flow and the um, and the result is astonishing, right? Yeah. So if you look at uh, GCP, which is Google Cloud Platform, that their their VPC, which is their you know virtual private, I mean, this gets into a niche a little bit, so feel free to tune out for the last two minutes if you want. But if you look at the Google Cloud Platform, their VPC is actually global, and where AWS VCP is regional, right? So think about the difference there. Like you have to create your subnet within the AWS region. For Google, you could cl- create global. And and I think that was a result of their OpenFlow deployment because it gave them the ultimate flexibility, the op- ultimate abstraction of the flow on top of uh, on top of OpenFlow, right? So, but for that difference, would you if you if you were the the decision maker for you know say a new 
you know, Eric's cloud or David's cloud, right? Would you, for that little difference, would you go implement OpenFlow? That ultimately becomes the question is that, you know, how useful it is um, for every day, for 99% of the people versus yeah. for that 1% that truly makes that difference but takes like 80% of the effort. So, yeah. you know, you tell me. Yeah, I mean, most people don't work for Google. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's cloud is great and all, but it's it's you know most if you look at a percentage of network engineers, yeah. most people don't work for big companies like AWS. Most of us work for SMBs or you know enterprise perhaps, but um, and in, at that level, it's pointless. So yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's I say it with a sad heart as well because I also invested a lot of time learning OpenFlow. I took your course, actually. Oh, you? That was the first time that I think you, you did a lot with HPE, which is, yeah. I don't even know where they are now, but, you know, HPE no, no, that's kinda like and the cool. controller. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, we, we, we both were believers and we both were kind of turnaround in our mentality uh, in the sense of, you know, for the majority of the people. Um, yeah, and, and what you said just reminded me that... Um, Take take it from me that it's so much better to be the customer of the clouds than than to build the cloud. <laughs> your your wife would thank you for it. Your kids would thank you for it. You know your your family would would see you a lot more, and you would you would um have a lot more sleep under your belt. That's interesting. You know, that's uh, it's uh, but I I mean it's it's great it's great that you rewrote the book. I mean, it, it, how much time was there between the two versions? It was a uh, a one year. Um, it's not long. So, yeah. So it was. Um, I, I think the first edition was published June uh, two thousand seventeen, the end of June two thousand seventeen, and then the second edition came out in September of uh, two thousand eighteen, end of September, so almost October. Uh, so it was about a year, um, but I didn't really start thinking about it. Um, and part of it was to get feedbacks from the actual readers. So, yeah. and by the way, um, I'm opening this up. Like, feel free to send me tweets or send me LinkedIn messages. People have been doing it, and I appreciate every single one of them to give me feedbacks on. Oh, this chapter was hard to follow. And uh, one of the things that um, I'm sure I'm sure you you could relate to is that feedback from people is super important, right? Yeah. And then. And in the the challenge with the book is I don't get the direct feedback from the readers. So I would appreciate all the feedbacks from the readers on uh, different things. Like maybe, maybe I'm wrong about Django, right? Maybe people have used Django to build APIs and they found it much better than Flask. I welcome that feedback too. And uh, so part of it after the first chap- uh, first edition was published was to, you know, kind of talk to my friends and people have given me feedbacks and I've thought about it. So in January of 2018, um, you know, uh, luckily, you know, it, the first edition sells pretty well, so pretty well. And Pac came back, approached me and said, did you want to do a second edition? Um, despite my better judgment, because <laughs> it was just it was a labor of love, but it was just a really time consuming. Despite my better judgment, I said yes, and then I'm glad um, you did it. Yeah, so um, I think yeah, the, so I think the, the second book is a lot better than the first. Just um, sorry to interrupt you. Just like you put AWS um, in, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, open was when I saw your first book. I thought, yeah, OpenFlow. It was at that time when it was kind of like, I wonder if OpenFlow is going to last. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my my biggest problem with OpenFlow, and it's the same with my course, it's the same with your book. Sure. The criticism is okay, so now what do I do with it? Because right. I, 
I have this beautiful controller and a switch. Okay, and right. then and then right. what's the application? Um, right. Whereas, like with Python and AWS, the applications are very practical. I mean, I can right. take your book and apply it tomorrow to my environment. So I'm really glad you did that. So thanks. Yeah, hopefully, you know, um, yeah, there's no, like you said, right, like OpenFlow, it's kind of this blank canvas where you could paint beautiful brushes on it and beautiful pictures, but there's no guardrail. And so like what's next and even the general direction of, so so I think you're, you, you and I both aware that the biggest challenge for uh, Big Switch and HPE and uh, Nicera, now VMware to a certain extent, is what application can I build on that? What, yeah. What's that killer app? Exactly. And they've actually opened it up for like contests and say, uh, you know, like submit this and then the, the first person, first place will win X amount of prize and so on. But that never came about, right? We all patiently waited for two, three years and that killer app never came about. So, um, yeah, so you know, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you like the uh, the second edition, and I'm opening up right now to say anybody who have a second a suggestion for the third edition, <laughs> <laughs> let me know, right? Like answer in the in the YouTube you know comments below. I will read every single one of them. If it takes you know days, I will read them. So please, let I was going to say, Eric, I should have said this in the beginning, but I'll put your um your um contact information below the video. So if anyone okay. wants to get hold of you, just like, give us your your, your Twitter handle, um, LinkedIn, yeah. everything, yeah, so guys sure. can contact you directly or put in the comments below. But I for mean, sure. yeah, that that'd be great. I mean, it's um, I think I really like the second edition. Um, okay. Um, yeah, OpenFlow, same as you. I've been through that. I agreed. So I'm glad you. You know, it's hard to say, but I'm glad that you that you that you said it. You know, awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, it's good to have a secondary opinion. You know, like I said, like this was just my own personal opinion. So it's good to know that you know another. Uh, industry you know veteran agrees with me who's who's you know as heavily invested in open flow if not more than me so yeah, no, yeah take no, it from I, us <laughs> i agree no i agree 100 percent. so eric um i've gone over our time so apologies okay. for that but it's been really good is there yeah, anything else you want to say before we wrap up the call um no just just to get started right like i mean um like I said, I don't I don't really make money from the book, and the aim really is just to offer people benefits, and I, I want to lead with value, right? So hopefully, um, uh, hopefully it, it's um, it's available to you. You know, if I could make it like sell for ten dollars, I would, but yeah. it's not up to me for the price. Yeah. So it's available on Safari. It's available on um, uh, a lot of platforms. Um, and, uh, you know, like such as PAC. So you could have a trial period for PAC from their subscription service that, um, you know, seven days for uh, 30 days or seven days for free. So you could read it for free and Safari offers trial period. And, you know, obviously, so hopefully, hopefully it brings value to people. And I, again, that, that is my kind of my, my mission is just that, you know, share my experience and, uh, hopefully it makes your life easier. And if, if it does that, then I, I'm glad. I am really glad that if it just helps, you know, somebody out there to go home at 530. <laughs> like, you know, if we think about that in the experience, just that one script that helped you to go home that one day instead of four hours, then it's worth it. I no, I agree. No, I really appreciate you putting all the effort in. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing what a book can do because it's, it's like in your example, it's years and years and years of, of frustration and hassle and and you know you 
you, you've you've put all the hard work in and been through all the frustration, and then you can distill it into a book to save us a lot of time. So, yeah, really appreciate you putting that effort in, and thanks for writing the book. Yeah, no, David, thanks for having me. Like I said, you know, I've been a fan for a long time. Um, appreciate it. It's uh, it's it's great to be here and to reach. I I think your your audience is precisely who could potentially benefit the book. So thanks for having me. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. And, oh, it was great. Uh, you know, glad to be hopefully, here. Hopefully I can convince you to do another one. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, the intent is there. The The physical time might not be, but the intent yeah, will definitely be Yeah, that's the problem, yeah. So Eric, I just want to say thanks very much. Really appreciate you taking all this time and really appreciate you, you know, writing the book. And thanks for the Christmas giveaway, you know, for giving away some of some copies. I really appreciate it. And we look forward to, you know, your third edition or what other what the you know the other books that you've written so yeah really appreciate feedbacks it. please feedbacks thank you thanks david thanks great have a great day you too bye-bye cheers thanks for joining us on today's podcast be sure to visit david's youtube channel at david bumble where you can subscribe and watch all of his videos while you're at it if you found value in this show we'd appreciate a rating on itunes or if you simply tell a friend about the show that would help us out too catch you next time on the david bumble networking podcast all the best take care